0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, and those of you with nothing better to do with an internet connection, Paul Johnson and Shane Hooper are proud to present the Total Stick Cast. Buckle up and enjoy the unscripted, unadulterated neurosis. And in three, two, one, clap.
1: All right, Excellent. Well, here we are with another stick cast. My name is Paul Johnson. I'm a freelance writer, author, vlogger, and creator of The Total Stick Show, and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, if you want to know a little bit more about that, you can head on over to everythingpaulnot.net, me, to get an eyeful of all of that. So with me, as always, is my co-host, Shane Hoopfer. He's also the producer of this lovely program. But, uh, as a very special treat, we also have with us today, Dan Alatori. Uh, so, Dan, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure, I, I especially like being referred to as a special treat. It makes me feel like uh, there's a hungry dog wagging his tail. somewhere.
1: <laughs> you are, it's a very special treat to have you with us today. And no dogs, I promise. No dogs. We won't release the hounds on you.
2: Well, you say that, but you know you never know. So yeah,
0: so <laughs> I um, made no promises.
2: Exactly. I've been an
1: author for a while
2: now. Had a, a number of best-selling. Uh, books, and I've uh, been very fortunate in that regard, I do a uh, blog at Uh We have writing contests there, and basically the idea there is I offer writing tips to, to folks who are starting out in the business, and with the writing contests, I do critiques of everybody's work that they send in, and they submit and enter, and then they get feedback directly from me, a published author, so it helps them a little bit. It's been a lot of fun doing that. And then we have uh, a lot of uh, author friends that I work with from around the world best-selling authors, New York Times best-selling authors, things like that. So occasionally they'll they'll do a uh, guest blog over there. Just trying to not so much be all things to all people, and just help our writerly friends along the path.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. It's so good when somebody... Um, like you give something back into that world because it is hard when people are getting started out and don't have any idea which direction to turn in or how to approach things like that it's it's good and to have that and I was
2: there once myself right the difference between me and most authors um, to the general public if the authors are listening they, they will or agree or not with this but the general public will review regard authors as shy quiet introverts and I would say maybe 85% 90% of the time that's correct but as a result, when they, they have a question, they're much more likely to research it or not ask the question. Mm-hmm. I came from a sales background, so typically I was not afraid to... When there was something I didn't know, I would join an author's group or an online group or whatever, and I would say, how do you do this? How do you do that? I would contact established authors and I would say, hey, when we when were at this stage, what, what next? How do I do this thing? And because I was willing to ask, they would answer me and they would help me. So I got, when I was starting out, I got so much help from so many people. And I, I consider myself lucky in that regard because they were there to help. But it turns out, you you probably experienced this too. There are lots of people who are willing to help you. They don't necessarily know you need help. They're not omniscient to figure out what it is you're struggling with. So I try to take the other approach and say, you are where I was. These are the things I was struggling when I was at that point. Let me put them out there, and then on my blog again every couple of weeks or so, I'll say, hey, what questions do you guys have? Or I'll just put it out there. What, what challenges are you struggling with? And then because people helped me, I just feel like turn around and help others is like the right thing to do. But I'll be honest, I'm more, I'm more sinister than that. My goal is if I can get 100 other people to become really famous and wealthy, then I'll have like 100 friends who are really famous and wealthy who can help me. It's totally totally about me under the guise of helping
1: others. There you go, there's planning ahead for you. Um, I like that you mentioned um, probably being in sales had uh, helped you be a little bit more outspoken and outgoing in those kind of situations. And It's probably important because like you said, a good chunk of people who are involved in this world um, aren't the most outspoken and aren't the most maybe extroverted people for going out there and looking for advice. a lot of judgment. People um, see a lot of judgment from friends, family, things like that before they ever get the uh, courage to go out there and actually approach somebody to look for information. So that makes it very important what you're doing. Um, were you published initially uh, independently or traditionally?
2: What I did was when I was first starting out, I was just writing little anecdotes and vignettes and short stories and putting them on Facebook. Okay. And I would do that first thing in the morning. You know. I'd get up early. So I'd like, do, post my thing like 3 4 in the morning. and I would go off to work. I'd come home at 6, 7 o'clock at night. I really didn't check Facebook during the day because I was running sales appointments and stuff with my sales people. And I would check when I get home. There's like 100 comments, great story. Oh, my gosh, you write a book. So, you know, there were a bunch of people telling me that. So I said, okay. I asked, hey, does anybody know anybody in uh, you know, the, an agent or anything? And a friend of a friend did so I contacted that guy, and I said, hey, this is what I've done. People seem to like it. He, he listened to me. You know, we had a few phone calls. So this to me he said, yeah, it sounds, sounds pretty neat. It sounds fun. It sounds like something to take off. I'd, I'd be interested in looking at it. So I submitted my stuff to him. Um, he had a deadline by which he would review certain things, like, say, six weeks or whatever. Okay. So the, the deadline comes and goes. And I email them, I don't hear back, I call them, I don't hear back, I text them, I don't hear back. A week goes by. Now, understand, I'm a sales manager for a Fortune 500 company at time. So, if somebody tells me, June 1st, you need to have a project done, and June 1st rolls around and the project isn't done, you're probably getting fired. Yeah. So that's the world I came from. And the traditional publishing business is glacially slow compared <laughs> to business <laughs> and compared yep. to the thing of just writing. So I'm not a fan of people who just scribble out a book and put it out there themselves. You know, I, I understand the proper channels of critique partners and editing, and letting a manuscript rest and making sure it actually says on the page what you had in your head, things like that. But really what, what bugged me, and I, and I didn't I didn't hold him, it uh, wasn't any personal between me and the agent. It was simply a matter of where I came from was when you say a certain deadline, I'm going to do everything to meet that deadline. Mm-hmm. that deadline comes and goes and you didn't even look at anything yet, then you're not right for me and I'm not right for you. And his opinion was, you know, you're kind of a prima donna, if that's your attitude. I'm like, no, nope, I just came from the other 99.9% of the world that doesn't function like traditional publishing. Now, in the traditional publishing business, they have reasons why they move slow, let mm-hmm. okay? Budgets, they're financing one book and they got to free up some funds before they can finance the next book. I get it. But there's so it's kind of like sitting on the sidelines while the game is going on I was like put me in coach and I can score so that route really wasn't going to work for me but that doesn't mean that's the route for everyone and you guys know this yeah. just because you publish one book independently doesn't mean you should not look at traditional publishing for your next book these are not mutually exclusive options there are plenty of people uh, who do both well known authors yeah. and, and that's fine um, for me I mentioned that I was in author groups, so I happened to come across somebody in one of the Facebook um, online author groups who was struggling. He said, let's make a comment of an established author. I just happened to read this thread. He was like, I'm really struggling with my time management, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? As a, as a Fortune 500 company sales manager, that was my primary thing, to manage other people to be able to get their tasks done. Yeah. So I went to him and I said, listen, I can help you with that, but you're a marketing guru kind of guy. Can you help me a little bit with what I'm struggling with? And like, what will you work on? Well, I had coincidentally put together a cookbook with like family-favorite recipes. It was really just kind of like a, what do you call it, like a labor of love, a family yeah. kind of thing.
1: Passion um, project.
2: <laughs> family recipes with little stories that went behind, little funny anecdotes, which is kind of what my prior publications had been, right? Funny stories, this kind of thing. Just lighthearted stuff. And so I had that. Well, this guy was a health food um, guru who put out best-selling cookbook after best-selling cookbook. It was all health food related. And mine was definitely not. It was all comfort food. You know, if there's not a ton of butter in the recipe, it you know, doesn't, doesn't make the, the book. So I'm talking to him and he goes, yeah, I can help you. He goes, you should change a little bit of this and that. And he reads the book and he goes, this is a great book because most people who put out a cookbook, it's like, um, it's like a chemistry set. Do this, do this, do this, they done. He goes, yours is all these funny stories that happen to have recipes attached to them. So it's very unique. And he goes, that's what Emeril Lagasse has and Jada de Laurentiis. They have a lot of personality in their stories. That's why they have cooking shows. A lot of people want to hear their stories as they're Mm -hmm. they're doing their thing. And so he really thought that was interesting. And I'm, of course, I'm like, yeah, you like it. I love it. So... He helped me market that, and I understand. This was like a little cookbook thing I was just kind of, kind of put out there just for family and friends. This thing shoots to like number one because this guy knew what the heck he was doing. Wow, well, we another yeah. one best summer on my hands, but it was my book. So all the things he was telling me to do are things I had to go do. You know, market here, do this, do these interviews, find these pictures. So by learning that, I learned how to market some of my other stuff as well. And that's where I say, how did it start? I was offering to help someone else. I'll be honest, I knew he, I knew who he was when I offered to help him, but in exchange, he helped me and, and look how well that worked out. So that book, to this day, that book's probably five years old. To this day, I haven't marketed in, have not marketed that book probably in two years. It still sells copies every single week. I'm not saying it sells hundreds of copies anymore, a couple of copies a week, but you guys can appreciate this. It had its big heyday and it's still out there chugging along. You know, buys me a pizza once a month kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But that's that's pretty cool because I really didn't want to be in the cookbook business. I kind of wanted to write novels, but by learning that from him, I learned how to the steps involved in doing some of the things that my other books would need. Mm-hmm. And,
0: and really- I'm gonna assume that we're shilling here for all American favorites, family yeah, recipes cool. and cool. more. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, hey, look at that. Things. This is called research, kids. Well,
2: <laughs> <laughs> so it's no. a very funny story. If you look at it, it looks like a cookbook, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of funny stories in there. And again, you, you don't go to that book to say, well, let me read all the funny stories. It's like, no, there's a lot of good food in there from my family. That's why I made the cookbook. But I didn't want to just do a cookbook like anybody else. So I put all the funny stories in there. And it's just a sweet little book. And then, you know, from there, I learned a lot that was able to help me in the grass.
0: looks interesting it's one i'm gonna have to download onto what is it itunes kindle i don't know i can barely (laughs) read so
1: that's why i talk (laughs) just don't drop your phone in the sink while you're trying to cook and read it off your phone all at the same time
0: no no that's why i'm married
1: so she can cook it or hold the phone for you cook okay 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 gotcha um, Alright, so yeah, you mentioned that you got started in, um, uh, not got started, but that author groups were really important to you early on and stuff like that, and that's something that I've been um, amazed by, uh, getting out there and seeing, is the amount of networking and stuff that does take place in indie circles, and stuff like that, and I think that's really cool, and like I said earlier, very important, like the work that you're doing as well. Um, and I know that you put out a book a little while back that was actually a collection of uh, shorter pieces from some other authors. Right.
2: Hey. Yeah, well, that's another thing too. So, what I did was I was meeting meet people, and I was interacting with them. They would critique my story. So, so some of the process: if somebody's new, you write your story, right? You write a book. You write twenty thousand words. Maybe it's a, a novella. You write sixty thousand. Maybe it's a novel. If you're more prolific like me, you write one hundred and five thousand words. And other people are like, we gotta trim this. Okay, mm-hmm. but but how do you know what to cut, what to trim? So there are critique groups. There are beta readers and here's here's the process for me. So I, I write, and I get an idea, and then I finally got enough ideas about that idea that I'll make an outline, i am do an outline. And then I write my story, and then I try to let it rest. And that simply means spending a little bit of time away from it. So that the next time I and I by a little bit of time in a week, a month, where it's written and I don't look at it at all. Mm-hmm. That allows your eyes to kind of become fresh again. When you sit down and read something, a chapter or whatever, that you have not looked at in 30 days. you you now have a fresh perspective and you're reading it more like a reader instead of the author and you can Mm -hmm. see was what I had in my head did it actually make it to the page many times it does not well people who can help you with that process are critique partners and what we do is we just kind of trade chapters there's online groups I have a group on my blog you can join that's a paid group but there are free ones out there and the whole point is I didn't didn't want to join a critique group again um, as Paul mentioned Because I was in an online author group, somebody suggested me to join a critique group. I was like, why do I want to do that? A bunch of people sitting around in a circle telling each other how great they are. No thanks. (laughs) (laughs) The benefit is, by figuring out and seeing and pointing out and helping others learn the things they're doing wrong, you will develop a sharper eye for your own stuff. It really didn't make sense at the time, but I'm telling you, that is the smartest thing I ever did. That's what took my stuff from the Bush League's to you know top of the top of the minor leagues, maybe bottom of the major leagues, okay? Because I'm not I'm not doing Stephen King, J.K. Rowling numbers just yet. Mm-hmm. Like, that helped a lot. Then it was a matter of finding people in that critique group that you connect with. Now some people do them in person. They go to their local library and this critique group. I did mine online and I had probably maybe twenty or thirty people who were reading my stuff put a chapter up a week for several chapters up a week because I read it pretty quick. And they would read them and give you their feedback. But here's the secret. Here's the trick. There were people who understood the plot, the drama, the highs and lows, the storytelling that I was going for. People who got it. And there were the people who didn't get it. All of their input was important, but it was like an 80-20 kind of scale. And on the people who really got it, I listened to about 80% of their comments. On the 20% who were maybe more interested in fantasy and I wasn't writing fantasy or they normally read romance and I don't write romance or wasn't writing romance in that story, their input was okay from a general perspective, but not for the genre. But so if you can find people who read and like your genre, whatever that is, murder, mystery, whatever, their feedback's going to be a little more more valuable. So from there, a lot of these people goes on and becomes, more than one, goes on and becomes a best-selling author, one of my critique partners, New York Times best-selling author. Uh, many of them weren't published when we were in the critique group, and they went on to become, published. Oh, so you need all these people. So now, I'm doing this. On my blog, they're like, you should have, because I give writing tips. Like, you should have a writing contest. I'm like, why should I have a writing contest? Who cares what I think, right? <laughs> okay, fine, we'll have one. So about a year ago, we had one. And it was a huge success. I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, "Oh, wow, this is fun. And what did I learn? That most of these people are pretty good writers. Everybody listening out here, you're probably a better writer than you think you are. This is what I learned. So I've done maybe six contests that I posted, Okay. Uh, and I'm telling you, we get 90% of the stories are very well written, good stories, good ideas. Maybe 5 or 10% are people who don't know what they're doing, and it's obvious, and they're doing lot of work. But that's okay, because I critique them. I say, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? If your story is good like this. Here's what I would work on. So we get a lot of positive reinforcement, but instruction as well. Anyway, so from there, I had a, I had a winner in the second place, in the third place, and honorable mentions, we had a couple of contests, and I was like, you know, we should do something with these stories. These are good stories. So I said, well, you know what? Let's put them together and put an in anthology. So we put out last July, and this is going because in July we're about to have another one. We called it the Scary Anthology Contest. I'm that. so 1st of July, I announced last year, we're going to take submissions, write a horror story, scary story, macabre, whatever you want, eerie, ghost story, whatever. We'll put them in a contest. I'll be the judge of it. And then when it's done, you'll get your critiques. And when done, we'll, we'll look at putting those in an anthology that will release October 1st for Halloween, right? Mm-hmm. So, we create a, so with all the winners, and anybody else who friends of mine that I knew from key groups that wanted to submit a story, we create a po- private Facebook group. We're chatting in there about this story's good, everybody read each other's story, see what you think, the editing process critiquing on that. So we get this thing all together. We put it out as a paperback, an e-book, and an audio book on uh, October 1st. And I happen to go to the Florida Writers Association conference in October, that's when that is. So while we're there at the conference, our book is number one uh, on Amazon in its category. Uh, You know, we did very little marketing. It's just, it was a very specific genre, right? Or anthology. And this was marketed as 20 stories by 20 authors. Half of them were published and some were well-known. The other half were never before published, never heard of. And when people take it, it was like 99 cents. It was inexpensive, right? So, low threshold. So, this was a chance for people to get published, to get input from more than one vet, uh, author, published author, several best-selling authors, and, lo and behold, the thing, again, jumps right to number one in this category, and has been selling ever since. So here's people who went from, I don't know if I'm good enough, they roll the dice, they enter a contest, next thing you know, they're getting published, an audio book is made of their work, and the readers might come in to read Jennifer Ruff or Alison Maluska, some of the better-known mm-hmm. authors in that group. But while they're there, they check out some of these other people, and they find a new favorite author. Sometimes it was somebody who had never published anything before. This is their first story in their first book. And that has been hugely satisfying. To think that I played a role in getting people who've never been published before and didn't think they were good enough. And they got a number one bestseller, and they've got fans and everything else. That's just huge. And that's just picking
1: something up and saying, you know, we can do this, I have friends, let's do it. I do it. That's awesome. I'm, I, I really like hearing that something like that came about so organically, you didn't just go out there and look for people to write this book with, you just saw that the material and the talent was there and built something from it, and that's, that's just awesome. Again, so much that you're giving back to the community um and again too i think because you mentioned that um a lot of people don't realize that you know maybe they're a lot better than they than they think they are and i think that's something that happens in a lot of different creative realms i think you see it in music a lot too people see the finished product they they read a stephen king novel or something like that and they look at their own writing and they go well i'm not there and they don't realize like you're talking about that cooling off period the different phases of editing you go through all these different things that happen before a book actually reaches the point of looking like that finished product. And it can be discouraged to sit at the start and stare at that finish line trying to figure out how in the world you're going to get there.
2: Or at the starting line. And and being an author is not... You think of it as as being a a solitary um, endeavor. It doesn't have to be. Like right now, I'm talking to two guys in different parts of the world, right? And when we did, our, I did a video show with a couple of authors, one was in Canada, ones in Colorado, I'm in Florida. We were bringing guests from the UK or from India or Italy. You can connect online through Facebook and a lot of other social media with people, people from all around the world who are authors who are struggling just like you are. And you can give each other encouragement. So you should find those groups and you should do those things, but not to the extent where it takes away you from your writing time. That's playtime, <laughs> Socializing time, not writing time.
1: Yeah. Definitely, I think time management is a big challenge for a lot of people too. And maybe I'll ask you that right now while we're there. Um, what do you think is one of your biggest, um, I guess, personal—maybe not drawbacks, but personal crutches when it comes to um, when it comes to writing? Like for me, I would say time management is definitely something that I struggle with a lot um, to find that time and use it effectively when writing. What's something that you find that yours uh, sometimes find yourself struggling with?
2: There's two big things on it. The first is. You should have dedicated writing time. Now, if you write full-time, if that's your full-time business, if that's where your money comes from, you might think, well, that's different. You can sit around all day. Hey, you know what? I have kids. I have to take my kid to camp. My phone rings. My dog gets sick. Just like everybody else, right? The difference is my business is, theoretically, the business I I choose and love as opposed to having to go work a 9-to-5 job or some other job and then try to squeeze my writing time in that way but let's begin at the beginning. Most people control when their day starts but not when their day ends. And by that I mean if you have kids and a wife or a girlfriend or you're an adult and you've got a job and responsibilities you may have to work it. You may have to put in overtime. You may have to squeeze in your writing time. And if you hope that it will happen, if you hope to find it, it's kind of like digging through your couch cushions looking for it. You're not going to find it. You have to schedule it and then you have to be beautiful about it. Since most people have distractions in the evening, and they have jobs. They don't necessarily control what time their day ends, but almost everybody controls the time their day begins. So I will give you the number one biggest. Ready? Pens ready? If you're going to write this down, get up earlier. That's it. Everybody put their pen down because nobody's willing to do that. Here's the difference: <laughs> if you love writing, when you wake up in the morning, it's Christmas morning if you get to sit down and write. Now, what would you do? My daughter's got a sleepover getting ready to happen tomorrow, and she's j- literally jumping up and down every time she thinks about her friend coming over. She's eight years old, and we, we should all learn to remember how to jump up and down and maintain that enthusiasm. That's why we writers. We can. But <laughs> when I talk to people about, what time do you normally do? Well, I get up at six. Okay, get up at five. Get up at 4.30. All of a sudden, all the eyes are rolling. Well, I'm not, I'm not even a zombie until I've had two cups of coffee. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, do you want to be a published author or not? How bad do you want this dream? Because here's what it takes. You have to make. You won't find writing time. You have to make. You have to schedule it. And you have to consider it as your job. Okay? So that means, for me, when my daughter was younger, I put her to bed at 8 o'clock. And I would write for an hour or two. And my wife understood, on certain days of the week, I'm going in here and I'm going to write. And then I'll come out at 10, 10.30. We'll sit on the couch together and write. You schedule it. You'll get everybody on the phone. If you got five kids and they're all barking at you all the time, your schedule's going to be a little different. How you can accomplish that? Case-by-case case, hey, basis. But what I did was, I got up at 4 in the morning, jumped out of bed at 4 in the morning, and then what? Okay, so again, I lost everybody. Nobody wants to get up at 4 in the morning. Okay. So here's the thing. Between 4 and 6, I got two hours every single day before anybody else was awake from my house. Nobody's awake. Nobody's calling. Nobody's driving up and the doorbell. UPS isn't delivering, Right? And yeah. you know what else? You don't check email, you don't check Twitter, you don't check Facebook, you don't do anything. You sit down and write. Hemingway used to leave his page open and he would stop mid-sentence so that the next day he was ready to go. Right? You sit down and your mid-sentence, is not too hard to get writing going because anybody can finish that sentence and the next thing you know you write. But so for me <laughs> it's like Christmas morning. It's not that hard when you wake up at four in the morning. If you're going to work, that's drudge. But if you're going to write your story, that's Christmas morning. That was what I would do. Now, what about email and Twitter and Facebook and the Kardashians? <laughs> if your head hit your pillow tonight and you got your word count done, or a chapter done, or two hours of writing, or whatever your goal is, if you got that done. If you didn't see the latest, uh, you know, quips from YouTube uh, from the Kimmel show? You're probably gonna be okay. with it.
1: But if you're all caught
2: up on the Kardashians and email and Twitter and you didn't get your work count done, you don't really feel good about the day. That's the trade-off. You're satisfying yourself every single time and you're doing it first thing in the morning. And then like all writers, you think about if you start out your day doing some writing, what are you doing the rest of the day? I don't care whether you're flipping burgers or or closing deals for a Fortune 500 company. Throughout the day, you're thinking about your story. Mm -hmm. Use that time and scribble down the ideas you're getting and it'll help you so much. Then, when you sit down, you've got a whole bunch of new ideas the next day to keep working on and keep it moving. That's the biggest thing is just get up a little early. Now, do the math. You got up two hours earlier, Monday through Friday. That's 10 more hours a week, 40 hours more a month. That's an entire week of 8 to 5 of just Mm -hmm. nothing but writing at a time when you choose. How many authors out there or writers or would-be aspiring authors would love to have 40 more hours or two more hours a day or ten more hours a week, they'd, all, they'd say, oh, if I had 40 hours, I'd definitely get my story done. You have it. You're just yeah. choosing to watch TV or watch the Kardashians or do Twitter or email. And with smartphones, I can check my my email at a stoplight when I'm driving to work or taking my daughter from camp, you know? It's not that hard to get those other things done, but it is very hard to write my novel at a stoplight. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that trick. The other thing is, don't, Abuse the family in the process. Let them know you're trying to do this. Generally they're going to be supportive, but there's been come a ton of time where you have that about it. You're always on the computer. That's just simply as your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, or your kid saying, Hey, you got a little out of whack with this, and we need our time too. I don't I don't I don't want to write all my stories and not know my daughter. So mm-hmm. when she comes home from school, we spend time together, or we spend it in the evening or whatever. I give her some time, but she doesn't get all my time because my job is writing. And even if I had a full-time job and I tried to write in the evenings, they still don't want to give her part time, or I'm not doing anything I'm supposed to do. And that's going to meet in that as well.
0: Now, I'm curious, um, on the side, how uh, important would you call having a dedicated space for your writing? Like, for me, I have my own dedicated space for recording. I have a dedicated space for building computers, any other hobby I might have. But I find uh, just having a space where you know it's just me and work helps.
2: Um, Most people are creatures of
0: habit.
2: So if you ask 10 writers what do you write on, some will write on a tablet, some sit down at a desk with a uh, desktop computer, some um, do other things. A lot of people, maybe 20% or more still, write things out longhand on paper right then if you ask and if you could write anywhere where would you do it and then you follow up with where do you do it a lot of people like to move around so one of my one of my good friends also was because she's my editor. um if you're listening remember she was one of the people I met in the critique group yeah she became my editor. she's a best-selling author now so it, it definitely a great connection to have made yeah. from a from a free online critique group many years ago <laughs> so she likes to move around so she lives in Colorado She'll go outside on her laptop, and she'll work on her porch, but she does have a quote-unquote dedicated space There's the desk or something in her kitchen, where her computer is, and that's where she's supposed to write. But it's a laptop, she can move around. So, sometimes she's downstairs, sometimes she's upstairs, but she likes to move around. A lot of times, she's at the um, kitchen table, I think, because I've never been to her house, but something about the proximity of that, so she can watch her kids when they're playing Minecraft videos, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> You want to do what works for you. Now, I'm lucky. I have an office in my home, and that's where my computer is. So when I come downstairs in the morning on the days, I understand that's when I'm immersed in writing a, a novel. That's not what I did today, okay? Mm-hmm. But that's what I'll be doing two or three days from now. I have a new project I'm starting, so every day I'll get at 4 a.m. and I'll probably I'll probably conk out between nine and ten. I don't I don't try to burn the candle at both ends. I'm not trying to be you know Superman. I'm trying to get mm-hmm. ninety days. Committed to writing a, a, a new novel, uh, or less than that if I can, and then I'll go back to be a normal person. But <laughs> I come down here and I work in my office, and this is my happy space. This is where my habit says when I'm sitting here I'm working. My my family knows that. Now that doesn't mean that my kid doesn't play right next door, right ten feet away, and you know Barbie occasionally comes sailing in because she's learning how to fly. Uh, those things <laughs> happen, but you know you roll with those punches and. Many times when you have a dedicated space, it's helpful, but a lot of people feel confined. So look at both extremes. My one friend, you know, can't can't sit for an hour. She's got to get up, and move around, and then relocate and rejuvenate it that way. Me, I sit down here and plow through it. I'm more methodical. So if you can have a, if your goal would be to have a dedicated space, then go for it. That's that's it. And then use that habit. Don't don't sit there and not work. If your family's going to be good enough to give you that space, use it for what it's intended to.
1: Don't use the privilege. Okay, good answer. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think to a lot of people, you were saying, uh, it mentioned uh, trouble sitting down for long periods and stuff like that. And it, it kills some people's focus and stuff. I think uh, that is a risk with the dedicated spaces. Some people feel like that passion is now being shifted into this is sit here and right now, you know, kind of kind of sensation. Um, I know a lot of the work I did when I finally got my novella out last year, a lot of the work I did early on on that was just hammering into a little blackberry pearl. A little white Fine, thing where that. you still had to press each button three times to get the letter you wanted and stuff like oh, that. that's
2: dedication
1: right there. Oh, yeah, no doubt, eh? Um, and that was just because it was what was accessible to me at the time. I hadn't structured myself at that point yet to, to live like a writer or anything like that. Or So it was whatever I could get into that phone during, like you say, crossing a street or whatever, you know, when I had two seconds just to write something down. And you that, had talked...
2: That, that's, that's what you want to do.
1: Yeah. And you had talked about that earlier. Um, you write in the morning, and then that gives you the daytime. You, you're you sketching, uh, sorry, scribbling things down all the time, this, that, and the other thing. I think that's so common among writers, always trying to get some little idea down the color of something we've thought of. It's It's got to be...
2: Well, what happens is we're, we're kind of thinking about our stories all the time. I'm out mowing the lawn, I can only listen to the baseball games so much or the radio station so much, and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, we're, we're not we don't focused on one thing uh, to get to the, 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 the exclusion of all others. We, you know, we're humans. We think about a lot of different things over the course of an hour. But when we're working on a story, it's more obsessive. We're, like, kind of constantly thinking about it. So what you want to do is simply not deny that about yourself and then make it easy on yourself to capture these ideas when they come to you. So if I'm out there mowing the lawn, look, there's nothing that says halfway through mowing the lawn, I'm not allowed to jump off, run inside and scribble something down because I'm totally going to do it. It's a little trickier when you're in the shower and you (laughs) have a shampoo and, ah, the butter did it, you know, and you want to jump out and scribble that down. But you know what? Make it easier on yourself. Have Have that stuff there, whether it's a notepad or whatever. Now, here's, here's what I do. So, I'll be driving around. We've all got smartphones these days. And if you don't find, hey, you know what? A piece of paper and a pencil works to capture an idea. Because all you're trying to do is capture the ideas. So, here's my process I'm getting ready to start a murder mystery. I've never written one before. I like to try new things. I encourage every author with a short story or a writing contest like I'm about to have to try, try something new. So, next month's writing contest, we don't have them every month, but the one that starts next month is horror, scary stuff, eerie, not that kind of thing. But I myself am writing murder mystery, So I've read a few, I've watched a few movies that are murder mysteries, like the classics, and i talked to a few friends who do that to figure out you know, what, what are people expecting so that I can at least play within, color within the lines a little bit, right? So as I'm going along, I use my smartphone. If I get a good idea, I'll just punch up, there's a notepad feature with talk to text, okay? Yep. So I just open that up. And I punch it, and I start talking. I say, oh, here's a great idea. The, the two protagonists should be sisters. And something simple, right? And, sure. Or maybe I'll be... I, I have terrible, I'm terrible with names. If you want to know, I, my weak spot, I have the worst character names. I, I, <laughs> I'm so bad that when my daughter was in preschool, I just said, you know, I'm just going to take the preschool roster of kids' names, and that's going to be the people in my book. Because I'm so bad,
0: you know, I come like
2: names like Barry, Mary, Fred—they're horrible. And then my friends will come in my critique partner, say, and say, "Why don't Why don't we change some of these names?" You know? Okay, so that's <laughs> what I'm at. So if I get a good name, or if I'm like going somewhere, in the cashier at, at Burger King or whatever it's like, "Oh, Shalandra," I'm like, "That's a good name." I write that down. You know? So so I yeah. capture my ideas. Then so they're all they're all getting captured in my phone in the notepad feature. I mentioned this specifically for a reason. I don't leave them there and I delete them out of there immediately. But in between, I email that to my computer. So okay. I get an idea of okay, the butler, you know, who should be the killer finally. Oh, it should be the butler. Open my phone, hit notepad, talk to text. You know, the, the, the butler should be the one who's the killer. Save that, forward that to my email, okay, email, deliver, and then I delete the message. Okay. Now it's not there to distract me anymore, but it is captured at There's home, online, chance. computer waiting for me to go there. So now when I sit down the next morning at 4 a.m., that's what's waiting for me. Five or six emails, of ideas. Hey, it could be the butler. What about naming the sister this and this? Right? Those things are there. That's like you bomb going on for an author because oh I wanted to talk about this all you're doing is you're capturing the, the kernel, the seed of the idea and putting it over to your place in time where you deal with it now if I got an hour and my dog in dance class and I got an hour yeah I'm going <laughs> to whip out the laptop or whatever and I'm going to expand on that that butler did it idea or whatever yep. so I capture all these ideas now I create a file in my computer let's say my murder mystery that's what I'll call it a folder called murder mystery story right and then in there, I just create a new Word document. Each time I get an idea. Oh, the sister's name should be this and that. Oh, the butler should be. Each one of these is a different Word document. It sounds very cluttered, but when you go to look at it, you open that folder, and there's all these ideas staring at you saying, Write me, write about me. Then I create an outline. Once I got a few ideas, then I create an outline, a basic outline. A simple outline can be, you know, Once Upon a Time, a lot of people died being it. Three simple steps. That's an outline. Uh, you know, Romeo and Juliet the boy and girl want to get together, their parents don't want to, they get together, everybody dies, the end. There's your album. Right? Yep. I like to have some broad frameworks. Then I come in with these little ideas and I say, okay, this would go here, this would go there, start arranging it. And then I've got all kinds of little writing prompts waiting for me and I grab them and I write the scene. You don't have to write these things in order. You can write them in outer order. Whatever thing you're excited about, that's probably what you should write about within the confines of that one story. And the harder work is not jumping around on ten different stories that have ten great ideas because then we have ten starts and no finishes. And you know you know what we call people who start ten stories and then don't finish them. We, we we don't call them published authors. You know, <laughs> I was gonna say unemployed. <laughs> exactly. You you stick with one, I don't care which one it is. Finish it. Doesn't matter, good, bad, or otherwise, you'll learn more for the next one, and don't just run on adrenaline. Have some structure and see it through at the end. So but all my ideas, and then at some point, now before I start writing the story, I'm thinking about, oh, you know, what about a, a story where these guys want to, uh, they're gang members, and they want to kill the gang members of the rival gang, and they want to put it on TV and create a TV show. And that that was like a great idea I had, right? It's like Fight Club, but with murders uh, on TV, like uh, Hunger Games. Some kind well, of matchup okay. there. It's not a fully one concept. It didn't say it was. <laughs> so that, that gets its own pull. And if I ever get an idea, oh, here's a great dramatic scene where this guy's got his gun to his head, he's saying all these things, write that down, throw that in that folder. At some point, you know, we all, as all authors, let's confess, we all have like 10 good ideas in fold it, whether it's a shoebox mm-hmm. or a scrap paper, right? Well, I'm the same way. I got, a, I got a section of my computer that says, here's ideas I'm thinking about. When any one of those starts percolating to the top and all the ideas start really coming at me, it's like, okay. Let's create the outline, let's put all the other ones that are begging for my attention on hold, and let's let's run with this So it's murder mystery. So I've been thinking about the murder mystery for a while, uh, and it's got a deadline, so eventually I have to start writing it. And, but I, I knew how I wanted to start it, I got the outline done, and I just did like the second scene. I'm like, you know, I got this guy in the Tampa airport, it's just boring, I just can't think of. It's boring, boring. Literally this morning, I woke up. And, uh, my wife's out of town, so I'm kind of laying in bed, I'm flipping channels, and I was like, wait a minute, he runs into somebody here for it, that'll be that scene, now honestly that an it sounds pretty boring, but it was brilliant this morning, so <laughs> now, because I've got an outline, i got a bunch of ideas waiting for me to start writing the story, I was kind of stuck, right, I know how I started another second scene, and I got my second scene, now I'm literally. Brendan, it's Christmas morning now. I'm like so excited to start writing a new story. But I have to wait. I have a few other things, literally one or two days worth of stuff, editing, and other things have to do for other people. So, you know, I've got to do that. And then I'm going to start my story. And I'm fired up. I'm so excited. That's what you want, right? So collect your ideas. Save them. Capture them. Put them in the different files, for the different books, where they, you know, whatever one starts to really call to you. It starts really over, bubbling over, the, the pot's bubbling over with ideas. That's obviously the one you're excited about. Writing that story. That's the one you should be writing. Mm-hmm.
0: So I'm curious, how, um, how many times do you have to catch yourself and go, you're writing down an idea and all of a sudden go, oh, wait a second, I saw this on this show or I read this somewhere and try great not great to go, question. oh, it's been done. Great
2: question. Well, some people yeah. say there are no new stories. There are seven main stories and we're all writing the same one. <laughs> I, I guess if you fly at 30,000 feet and you look at everything that way, you could say that. I I get it. I disagree. But here's the thing. If the three of us, okay, if we all said, here's an outline of a story. Here's chapter one, we we'll going to be about this. Chapter two will be about this. 20 chapters, 30 chapters. Here's how it ends. Everybody dies. If we all started out with the same outline, and we said this is going to be a high fantasy uh, Game of Thrones kind of story. Right? Even that, and here's, here's the good guy, here's the bad guy, even that, we would all write different stories. What's going to appeal to, to Shane, and what's going to appeal to Paul, what's going to appeal to me, is going to be different. <coughs> and if I have a sense of humor in my stories, I'm going to have a witty uh, Tyrion Lannister type of character. He's probably going to be my protagonist, whereas maybe somebody else does it a different way. And all the stories might be similar, but they're not going to be the same. So, start with that. Then I take it and say, I like to think I'm original enough to where I, I don't consciously copy anything, but I'm not going to tempt fate either. If I have to write a story that takes place in space, I'm probably not going to watch you know, Deep Space Nine reruns and other things yeah. while I'm doing it. <laughs> and then <Yeah. laughs> I have, I'll submit my outline to somebody that I trust, who will look at it and say, who, who maybe is a, a tricky?" and they'll say, you know, this really sounds like the plot of such and such. That does two things for me. One, it kind of touches on what Shane said. Maybe I've skated too close to established territory. Mm-hmm. But then two, I need to, I need to know that. So, so, I don't copy it, but if I have never seen that show or that episode or whatever it is she's saying it's similar to, I'm not going to write that story. I just, I can't because I don't know it. Right? Yeah. Then, to look at it again later and say, you know, if you change this and change this, it's kind of different enough to where it won't it won't be that close. Now, if somebody's looking for, I wrote a, a book called An Angel on a shore. Okay?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's a paranormal, it's a mystery. A lot of people who read it, beta readers who read it, said this is, reminds me of Stephen King, um, The Shining. Another one said it reminded them of Stephen King's book, um, maybe it was Pet Cemetery. I'll say I don't remember which one. One of them, maybe one of the Pet sanitary. Another person, so I had like 20 beta readers for this, so like three or four or more. It was like a Stephen King story, or Stephen King book, and they helped pick different ones. Now, if you ever read The Shining or saw The Shining, it's very different from some of, you know, it's not Christine, okay? Yeah. Very so, much
0: so. <laughs> it's also
2: not Pet Cemetery. So if somebody said uh, um, Stand By Me was the movie, and I think it was a different season, a change of seasons, was a story it came from called The Body. So one person said that. That's very different from The Shining, but what aspects of those two stories were they, were they talking about that they thought mine was similar to? And it was simply that there was a young child who was talking a lot about what a, a young boy in the Midwest does, going fishing, and going camping, and going hiking, and that kind of crap. That was part of that story. So that was the part they were saying, not, you know, uh, a madman running through the place with an axe. They weren't, you know, mm-hmm. getting lost in the... The, the, the topiary maids thing. Not that bad. But they didn't really elaborate that, but I thought it was pretty cool that they were comparing me to Stephen King, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, like, I would take
0: that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, no yeah, doubt. Hey, yeah.
2: If you can mention me in the same breath as him all the time, I'm a happy guy. But that's <laughs> Maybe for a romance, not so not so good. And definitely not for a cookbook. So yeah. that was some of the initial feedback. I was like, wow, I never thought of my book that way. So I asked them, because you know, the beta readers, I'm like, what? What are you What are you talking about? I'm not, not you know, axe-wielding madman running around. They're like, no, no, but in this one story, it was about a young boy. Your has these flashbacks with the young boy. And I would ask a different one. Why The Shining? How did that? Oh, because it was a little kid who was in danger, and the little kid was kind of psychic. And in your story, the little kid's in danger, and kind of psychic. Okay, so is that the same, or is that really very different, but kind of similar if you want to look at it in a certain light, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take that for what it's worth. In the same breath, somebody else reads the book who I don't know, okay, right? the book's out there, and it's some, and somebody sees these comments because if somebody's going to write a review that says, uh, it's like Stephen King's The Shining, I'm, I'm going to make that a featured review and when you click on my book that's something you can see. Yeah. So somebody else <laughs> reads it, expecting a Stephen King of Horror Story, which it's not really, it's, it's paranormal and it's or a little bit. But they're like, this is nothing like the Stephen King rule. Okay, so which is true? Well, the people who saw the similarities thought it was true, and the person who didn't see the similarities thought it wasn't true, and both are correct. And I get a bad review from one, mostly I've gotten good reviews from the others, and enough people saw, it's not a horror story, but the way Stephen King talks and the way he rolls out his story, this young boy's life kind of thing, those aspects they found to be very similar. And like like Shane said, yeah, I'll, I'll take that compliment all day long. Because are you, you are you asking Stephen King to scare? You? Yeah. But aren't you first asking to tell you a good story that you like the characters? Yeah. Because if you don't, do that, you don't get scared. So from from the theoretical viewpoint, yeah, I, I, I take that compliment. But I also understand the guy who said it's not scary. Okay, you weren't scared. Okay, he didn't scare you. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to be different for everybody. But that's night uh, interesting. But before I forget, uh, since we're talking about nightmare fuel, I'm (laughs) going to ask you about Night of the Colonoscopy. Oh, yeah. What (laughs) on earth are you doing other than trying to fill me with terror? So here's the thing, right? So the first couple of books I write
2: are about a 47-year-old guy who's getting ready to be a first-time dad. Now, if I tell you those numbers, both of you kind of blink for a second and say, wait, I'm 47 years old, first-time dad, first-time dad. Mm-hmm. Most people have their kids when they're in their 20s. I did mine about 20 years later. Didn't, uh-huh. I didn't have a family to get remarried didn't have a kid. I had first kid at age 47. So uh, that was what I was talking about. I would write Facebook posts, and everybody was like, this is hilarious stuff. We're reliving our lives vicariously through your posts about when our kids were young. And there was a lot of <laughs> wholesome, family fun kind of feel to it. That was uh, the Savvy Stories series,
0: and uh, I started putting those out.
2: Well, as part of that, you would get an idea, and it's not a 60,000 or 80,000 word idea. It's kind of like, hey, this funny thing happened. So I have a handful of books that are like that. So Santa Maybe is a novella. It's maybe somewhere between 12,000 and 20,000 words off the top of my head about... Going and seeing Santa Claus. That doesn't need to be a whole story. It's not Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase. It's, you know, a, a short little vignette, but long enough to be its own title. And a couple other things about having a birthday party for a stuffed animal. These are just little fun slice of life things that if I had put them in a book, they would have been such a big piece of the book that it would have cut out of balance. But they were kind of too big for the blog, and I thought, you know, just a little title up there 99 cents, your own thing. So, one, in that series is Night of the Colonoscopy. And it says in the title, Night of the Colonoscopy, a horror story, sort of. Yep, and sort of. It's like I said, 47 <laughs> years old, you get around 50, they say, hey, let's shut a TV camera up here, but and see what we see. And uh, everybody looks forward to that, men and women alike. And one of my um, daughter's friends, daughter, yeah is a um, works at, uh, as a nurse for a proctologist. and I would kind of chat him and she goes you should write a story about that and I was like no no one should write a story about that and she goes, <laughs> no, because everybody's afraid of it and they shouldn't be The thing, because she does that and she goes what I always hear is afterwards uh, oh it's not anywhere near as scary as I
0: thought but what they hear ahead of time is petrified you know granted it's pretty obtrusive stuff so yeah you better be buying me dinner before you do that exactly exactly
2: so I simply wrote about the experience. Now, it's not a technical guide. It's a simple matter of a guy like me, or you, or anybody else, or a woman that has to get this done. And the reason why, he's, he's giving his daughter a bath. She's a little kid, he's giving her a bath. It's like, this is why I have to do this. I want to walk her down the aisle, I want to see my grandkids, so I have to make sure I don't die of something stupid. You know, yep. so I have to go do this. So he decides because he loves his family, he's gonna do it. And then of course, a lot of funny stuff, there's a section where, in the post office, it's like the fart room. It's like you're full of hair, and everybody in there is just <laughs> farting. Fart after fart. It's like, you know. I know exactly what he time. means. It's nonstop. It's an hours-long ordeal. And <laughs> ostensibly, it's just air, But, you know, my olfactory senses told totally me otherwise. And, you know, so there's, there's lots of little funny bits. There's playful stuff where he's playing with this kid. There's, okay, i got to drink all this stuff, and now I'm going to spend the rest of the night on the toilet. You know, all those horrible things, but what happens with this book? You know, at the end of the, at the, end of the thing, everything turns out fine, and he's glad he did it because he loves his daughter. And we say, yeah, I eat green beans because I love my daughter, right? She has to eat them, so I have to be the example. It's, it's just that, but it's a colonoscopy. Aside from the edible part, hopefully that wasn't too crude of an analogy. So... What? Who buys this book? So this is another one of those books that kind of catches people's eyes. It's got a, it's kind of red and black on the cover. It's kind of like a scary guy in the doorway kind of thing. And, uh, but who buys it is wives buy it for their husbands as the husband is being talked to by the doctor about <clears throat> getting the procedure done. That's another one of those totally organic things. My friend said I should do it. I was like, yes. So I I wrote it and I said, no, this is funny. All right. I dressed it up a little bit. It's a good story. It's funny. It's not <laughs> disgusting. or crude. Yes, it is. A little bit crude. And, and at the end, it's just a wholesome little story that happens to be about you know, like if you're getting your tonsils out. Nobody would mm-hmm. care about that. It's just a little different procedure. A little bit. Um, and so I, I love the fact that it's another um, little, you know, do you want to call it a little valentine to my daughter? It's like, hey, you know, she's eight. She doesn't get it. <laughs> another thing is she doesn't understand that all parents don't write stories about their kids. Like, she goes to Splunk, oh, there aren't books published about you? There's like 10 books published about me. i like, I mean, not everybody, not everybody does that. So that was an eye-opener. And the other was, Dad, these stories are about me. They need to stop. I'm in school. I'm like, yep, yep, they need to stop. So they did. So that series kind of ended when she was uh, four. And I haven't released okay. the fourth one in the series on that. But anyway, there's little short stories that go in there too in the stuff. So, so it's, it's wives. Buy it for their husbands. That's pretty cool. That's one of those neat things to learn after the fact that, you know, again, not a book that I market a lot or at all, I don't think, mm-hmm. but it, it sells every week and it's it's one of those, hey, you know what? It's not what you think. And it's, it's kind of cool to have helped people in that regard. I'm, I'm really not this great humanitarian, but every once in a while I screw up and do something that benefits the world, it's like, hey, I did that.
0: So, okay. I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm awesome. looking forward to that one myself.
1: And I'm not. I'm hoping I'm enough years out from it that they come up with a new idea by then. Maybe they just do it with lasers or special effects or something.
2: Exactly. Just like yeah. The ultrasound.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you touched. I thought that was interesting that you touched on the fact that you have stopped writing um, about your daughter, and I was wondering how, kind of, what her view on that was. And you really touched on that—that that, you know, she goes to school and not everybody not everybody she goes to school with has these books published about them and this that and the other thing i appreciate you bringing that up and i was also going to ask uh, did you because i know you write children's books as well yeah. um how did that i'm assuming that kind of started when you had your daughter
2: yeah so here's, here's how that segues right okay yeah. so i got into the writing I, I had always written when i was a little kid i wrote comic books for my older brothers and sisters i created a, a in my grade school i created a newspaper so i could write stories in high school i was mm-hmm. Book editor of the newspaper. And then in college, and kind of get away from it for a little bit. And then I started writing short stories that didn't really go anywhere because I was like everybody else. What am I going to do with these? I did nothing with them, right? And then Facebook came around for me, and I was like, oh, I'll put them up here because the kids on the way, everybody like that. And that evolved into writing books. But I had always wanted to write novels. So once my Savvy Stories books kind of made a little bit of a name, oh, he writes. Then right. I said, okay, let's change gears and let's let's put out a novel. And I put out The Navigators. And it's that, everybody loves that book. That's like a action, fast-paced, it's a time-travel kind of story, which would put me off if somebody said that. But it's yeah. an adventure story. And it's kind of like Indiana Jones almost in its pace. It's just one thing after another it happens to these kids who accidentally discover the time machine. And like I, was, I always put it like, if we took a Cro-Magnon and brought him forward to today and put him in a car, he wouldn't know what to do, right? We could expect a gun on the highway, and bad things would happen. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that. We discover the time machine. Is that something we should even be dealing with? What would we do? What if, what if the three of us discovered the time machine? And we own enough gas in the thing for one trip, for one person. Which gets to go? Who gets to go? So right away you have conflicts. And that's what happened to these kids who discovered the time machine. So I went into novels. But the the transition was I started out with writing about my daughter and family life. And just trying to kind of like old school Bill Cosby, Mark Twain. You know, Bill Cosby before we kind a. Got into you know giving drugs to women, <laughs> but back in the old days when he did the Cosby, Cliff Huxtable, it's a fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. and, and that was fun, and people liked it. And um, there was a point where when she started preschool, where she was like four years old, and I had written several stories about that that series at that point. And I said, okay, I owe it to her to let her have her life, and not every time she does some greater. be bragging about it, or not every time she screws up, tell the funny story because that's you know we've all seen Hollywood kids that didn't turn out too good. Yeah. We needed to do that. Instead, we channel that into, he would um, give me ideas to write stories about for her to read. So we, we wrote um, Princess and the Dolphin, which is an illustrated children's book about a, uh, um, a princess who doesn't, uh, sorry, a mermaid, who um, doesn't have anything. Princess and the Dolphin is about an uh, illustrated book that um, the princess loses her favorite toy, and they have to search through the kingdom to find it. Um, Lagoon of the Lone of the Mermaid is about a mermaid who has to win around and So, you know, you kind of see that ABC After School special kind of feel to those illustrated books about a little bit of lesson, a little bit of fun, but definitely books for us to read to her. And then when she got a little older, books to read to us. So, that I had collected enough for the fourth book in the Savvy Story series, which is called Fourth Home, which she would get married to turn four years old. Mm-hmm. And I had that, and that's basically ready to go, but I thought I'll hold off on it because when you're eight, it's okay to talk about when you're four, but when you're five, it's not cool to have that in your face. So I want a little bit of buffer time, and I didn't really want to keep putting her in the spot do these So instead, she was playing in my office one day, basically it gave me the idea for the Laguna the Lone Mermaid. She told me that story. So I, because I had an image up on my computer, I said, What do you see here? They, oh, I see a mermaid, and she the ship and on it. I didn't see that in the picture, so I wrote down the story she told me, and we published that together. That's basically the first one. Then, we were playing, and it was about this time of year, and I was working on my like, scary anthology, and I said, you know, we need a new monster, honey. What, what would be scary? What would kids your age like to like, read about? And she goes, zombies. And I was like, you know, she's in second grade at the time, I'm like, you know, I'm not sure if zombies is kind of bloody for it. it's about something cute, you know? She goes, like a bunny? I'm like, yeah, like a bunny, but, you know. And she goes, what about a zombie bunny? Goes, a zombie bunny. Sure. What, what would we call that? She goes, like, like duh. She goes, zombie bunny, you know, the, the zombie. Of course, right? Yeah, of course. okay. What else, really? I mean- <laughs> exactly. You know, what does the zombie bunny do? Oh, he doesn't, he eats carrots and he stays up too late. He doesn't eat right, you know, regurgitating all the things she's been hearing from us and her teachers. I was like, okay, draw me a picture of the zombie. So she draws me a relatively scary-looking picture of a rabbit with a skull part missing. And missing. It's a zombie, right? And he's walking around seeing carrots. So I sent this to a few illustrator friends because we had done the illustrator books. And one of them came up with just the cutest, most adorable little bunny who was also a zombie. Very good <laughs> friendly, round, kind of like Charlie Brown-ish, you know, round, round yeah. shapes. Very friendly, very cute, and so she and I created the Zombie series, so now, I, I did most of the first one with her input, like what should he do next, and she'd tell me and I'd write the story. The second and third one was more her telling me he should learn to ride a bike, he should blow them off, he should, right? So now the next one we're working on is she's writing it, and the one after that will be her and her friends giving me out wow. okay, we're all going to sit down, all guide the process, but you guys are going to write it. So, they're illustrated books, but the difference is, I should say they have illustrated students in them, but they're chapter books, because the illustrated books are for babies. And now, <laughs> in second grade, she was into chapter books, so the Zombie series is more words, fewer pictures, but still uh, still very adorable creatures. And then from there, um, we'll try to have her start writing her own stories that are just what what one third grader thinks another third grader might find interesting. Right, yeah. now, Those may not get published, but that's kind of where that process went. So she's still involved. She's still the center of where some of these ideas come from. If I go and write a story like Paggy Bonsi, where the fan- there's a businessman goes to Italy, there's a family, so they have a four year old, so that's kind of modeled on her. So even though she's not in the stories, she's still kind of giving me information for some of the characters, that kind of thing. So there's an evolution. I think everybody does that to a certain extent. Yeah. And we incorporate what we need to, but still respect the privacy of the people who may or may not be characters in those worlds. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's when you start building composite characters and stuff like that, just from life experience and people around you. Yeah, um, yeah. That, that's that's very cool, and I like. I think it's so sweet how, um, like, I'm looking at the covers uh, for these for these books, and uh, that you you have her name right on the cover. Like, this is Savannah's book. This isn't your. This is you and her building this thing. And I think that's very sweet because you could have just as easily put plastered uh, Dan Alatorre across the front of it with no, you know, bad feelings. So
2: Exactly. Well, and I'm big that way, too. When we did the anthology, we came out and we said, you know what, it's compiled and edited by me. Mm-hmm. But this is right on, the, right on the cover, 20 stories by 20 authors. This was the scary anthology we came out with last year. Yeah. And the idea was, there are some bestseller names in there, and on the Amazon listing, the book listing, you'll see those names. But you'll also see the names of people you've never heard of. And you know what we did? We put, you know, some of the best people right up front, but they're all in there. It's not like, oh, we never heard of you, so back of the bus. Mm-hmm. It was purely on quality of story. So you were a no-name who had a great story. Yours is the third or fourth one. Because it was about introducing people to all of us. Not, you know, not, oh, here's an ego trip for my, my best son and friends. It yeah. was them wanting to help out other people, other time and the story as well. And there's no reason not to do it. So on the Amazon listing, it's a lot easier. you have got more space. On the cover of a book, you can't put 20 people's names. But on the Amazon listing, you can, so we do. If they create an Amazon author page, hey, we put them there. When I edit, if I'm using a brand new editor, I'll create uh, an Amazon link. Um, when you do your listing, you can have, you can drop down and create who's this edited by. So I always do that. Uh, if my best-selling friend edits my book, it, it links to her, it pops up on her screen. If I edit her, same thing. If, if I use somebody who nobody's ever heard of, there too, it's all about it's all about why not? You know, I can do that little thing, me nothing and might get me one of their readers to come over and read my book. Mm-hmm. Me, there's no downside. I don't have I have a big ego, but I don't have an ego that says I have to be all front and center all the time. And I I like to do those things because I like to think remember, that's helping those hundred people get established, and that's how I end up with, retired on a yacht here. <laughs>
0: nice, nice. So uh, I'm curious, actually. Yeah, you're talking about um, your next contest coming up. So how does somebody listening to us right now, how do they get involved with that? Let's well,
2: listen. in fact, I'll even i I'll even, uh, you guys a, a song here. So there's an entry fee, okay? You go to www.danalitore.com. So, you know, in the old days, you put the W, and I just put danalitore.com. On July 1st, there will be a post that says, hey, there's a contest, a writing contest. It's called... Wordweaver, Wordweaver, Wordweaver Writing Contest. Now, there's a search button on my blog anyway that apparently nobody ever uses. But if you were to use it you type writing contest or Word Weaver, or if you Google the wordweaver, it'll eventually get you the right place. But what happens is the first of July, is like the gates are open. Between July 1st and July 31st, you have that much time to enter the contest and get me your story. July 31st at midnight, the, the, the gates close, I'm not going to take any more entries for the story, okay? The contest. Then, um, we're going to have a like, first prize, second prize, third prize, and, and the prizes have been all kinds of different things. They've been editing packages, publishing packages, um, a cover for your book. Um, editing has been pretty, pretty popular because most people who enter the contest, don't have an agency and you need to get their story edited. So editing is for good. But the idea is, you're going to enter the contest. You're going to couple of different things. First you enter the contest, there's a fee. I'm going to critique every single story. Now, you're not going to send me a 60,000 word story. You get 3,000 words of it. So you write up to 3,000 words. If you write your little thing in 1,000 words, great. I'll critique it. I will look at, just like I do my other best-selling author friends, I will tell you, likes, dislikes, change this, here your story actually starts here, not where you started it, you should end it here, not where you ended it, this type of stuff, right? I'm not a harsh critiquer. If somebody is struggling, I'll see that, and I'll give them the guidance they need. If they're writing a good story, which is upwards of 80% of the time, really it's just about do more of these things, less of these things, and you're really doing a great job, and cut a little of this, and have you thought about changing this and that? But they'll see that. But because it starts July 1st, and I'm already talking about it now, I've also gone on my blog and said, "Hey, don't forget the contest is coming in July. It's going to start." So they'll they'll find it on my blog if they go look at it. And on my blog, they'll also see the other announcements I've done for other contests. We did one last July that was for scary stories that created the Halloween anthology that we rolled out on October 1st of that year last year. And they'll also see all the winning stories get posted. There's a big announcement. Here's who. So sometime in August, a week or two into August, there'll be a big blog post that says, here's who won, here's who all the winners were. Win. Then the next day, you get to read the winning story. And the day after that, the second place story. The day after that, the third place story. Okay. And, you know, if we have Honorable Mitch and Ale- all those. Then, the following week will be a profile of the first place winner, written profile, the second place winner, third place winner. And then, you know, they'll talk about their happy writing spot and what their process. So you're going to get a bunch of cool short stories. You're going to get maybe ten, probably not ten, maybe six or eight people's process of how they do what they do. So if you're just starting out, just reading it, because you're going, oh, this guy does what I do. Mm-hmm. make that connection. These are beautiful the people on my blog. So if you make a comment, hey, George, I really liked your story. George will write back and say, great, thanks. And if you want to try to connect with George and write stuff together or get George's input down the road, you can do that. But the most important thing is, what I have done. and again, this is always by backing into it. We had a contest. So many of the entries were good stories that guess what? The person who won the first contest we ever did got enough confidence from doing that. She went and published her book. The person who won the second contest got enough confidence from that. She went and published her book. The Mm -hmm. person who did the third one and a couple of second and third place people got enough confidence from this. Because guess what? I tell you your story is good. If it is, I'm not going to lie to you. It's not good. I'm not going to tell you it is. Most of them are good. Then a bunch of people read it. We get over a thousand views. The day the announcement of Google the winners are, we get over a thousand views on my blog for that post. And then over the course of the week, where everybody's reading your story, another thousand. You get know lots of eyeballs reading your story and lots of comments telling you how good it was, right? And then we got a built-in kind of fan base of, hey, so-and-so decided, one, one of my favorite ones is uh, Heather Kent. She won the contest with a chapter of her book. The book was written. She ends up editing it. I critique it with her for the book. She gets it published because the publishing prize at that, that contest was a publishing package. So we get Nice.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: the thing is great. It's a great story. But we did a, a profile, we do a guest blog post, we you know talked to her every once in a while because you know she won my contest I know it. So now she's out selling her book, and people can see, hey, I went from she went from thinking her story wasn't any good, keeping the test destroyed to now it's published and she's selling it and she's you know doing interviews and stuff like that I mean she she she's living the dream she's putting it out there and and there's a zillion people who are sitting at home right now thinking oh, I don't know if my story's good enough you know what there's you no know, one way to find out you can make the best wine in the world if you don't ever let anybody have a sip we're never going to know it's the best you could be the best athlete in the world and if you don't ever get out on the ball court and show us what you can do we're never going to know There's 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 that little leap of faith you have to have in yourself, and I'm telling you, most of you are much better writers than you think you are.
0: You have to be able to put aside the fear of failure, because everybody fails.
1: I'm
2: gonna hold your hand.
0: If you're gonna fail, I will soften the blow. We're not out to embarrass
2: anybody. But you know what? You don't really lose very much for any of the But I said I'd give your readers a perk. Here's what I'll say. So there's an entry fee. It's not announced, not to say what it is. But if they go to my blog and they say they heard of me, because it's a, like, you have to enter by contacting me, so I'll get an email. And, oh, I want to enter the contest. So in there, somewhere they say that they heard of you. like, little right? stick server or from, you know, Paul and Shane, I heard about you from that. Then I'll give them a discount off of the entry fee. I'll just tell you up front, I'll knock off five bucks. Now, you don't know if that's nice. five bucks off a $100 entry fee or $5 off a $5 entry fee. It has to be mystery. I'm not pressuring anybody. They do it or don't do it. They should check it out. There's a lot of cool stories that happen there. It's definitely worthwhile. A lot of people say, you know, the entry fee is worth it because I get a critique back from a best-selling author. And -hmm. then you have my email, and we know each other, and I help you. And that right there, to me, is well, that to them has been very valuable. To me, it's like, it's cool that people want my input that much that they want to pay for it. But that's what I do, so I'm, I'm okay with that.
1: That's very cool. I think you're right. Confidence is such an issue, such an issue. And more than um, in music and more than so many other uh, venues, you hear um, people refer to writing as being one of the loneliest things you can do. (laughs) Because you can feel very isolated.
2: There's athletes. We all see the Major League uh, Baseball player, Major League, or, you know, highlight reel of the the NFL player making a tremendous one-handed catch in the end zone and all that kind of stuff and and a lot of times what we think is natural talent we're only seeing the snippet where it's on display you mentioned Stephen king earlier about what a great writer he is because we don't see him 40 hours a week for six months slaving away at his computer rewriting chapter after chapter rewriting yeah. it again rewriting it again we don't see the hard work we only see the finished product a lot of times that graceful catch in the end zone is the result of all the hard work we did not see and the hard work is the sitting down and making it happen so even though there's a lot of hard work involved I have no problem letting people think it's just magic that drips off my fingertips but <laughs> yeah. I have no problem showing them when magic did drip off their fingertips because it does happen there are so I was re, I was critiquing the story yesterday and I was highlighting like this is a great line this needs to be on the back of your book that's such a great line now imagine if you're submitting that to me and I'm telling you this is such a great line you know it makes you feel good you can't help but feel good about that yeah. kind of stuff. and it's simply a matter of you're already probably doing the hard work. Let somebody else see that you have been working hard. No, don't deprive the world of your story any longer. You let them see it.
1: That's so awesome. Yeah, there's nothing to there's nothing to lose by going out there and trying to trying to show people what you're working on. Trying to show people what you're doing. That holds more people back than actual failure does. It's just the fear of the fear of failure, which of course can be said of anything. But I think in this case is particularly true. One
2: hundred percent. Maybe changing. They want to write, they want to be famous, but they don't want anybody to see the book. Ah, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, and Sometimes it is a vulnerable... No one, must, no one must ever see it. And it is a vulnerable place to be, because unlike maybe some other things, but like you said, there's a journey for everything, but uh, people spend years in some cases um, just pouring their heart and soul into something like that. And to put that out there and just hope that the first thing you hear might be positive about it is a very vulnerable position to be in. I mean, I know for me, just the novella that I put out, right around 30,000 words, and that um, was about 10 years um, that I worked on it. Not necessarily that it took 10 years of uh, 9-5 to dedication to put that together, but because I didn't have the ambition. To publish it when I started, and I was just getting the story out of me. So that's, you know, a decade that went into those pages. And to go ahead and put that out there, you're putting yourself and leaving yourself very raw and vulnerable to what people are going to say to that.
2: So let me give you a quick story on a very similar situation, right? I'm working with this person, an unknown author. I'm, known, I'm, I'm, I'm not unknown at the time. I'm in this critique group. And this person is, this lady is writing this story. And I'm, reading. I'm like, this is a pretty good story. Because, you know, I don't know. So, we're talking over the course of a month or two, you know, because you don't submit the whole story at once. Mm. Kind of a week at a time kind of thing. Um, but it had been out there for a while, so I real quick. And I was talking with her, and she was just at that point where she was like, no, you know what? I'm just going to stick it back in the door. I'm done with this. This is silly. And I call it being on the ledge, right? It's like, you know, that stockbroker during the market crash got on a ledge and just jumped. So, she's on the ledge. And so, we talked a lot. I'm like, listen, I don't have to tell you if your stories good. Uh, you know I'm not what, what am I getting what, how do I benefit by, by telling you that I don't benefit I'm telling you it's good don't do anything right now we've all heard the story about Stephen King through the novel in the trash Carrie and his wife pulled it out and it became a long way mm-hmm. right. so I said let me have another look at it I think it's fine uh, we've already done the critique we've already done hard work you got nothing to lose. You should go for it. She was ready to scrap it. She likes to say, I was this close, you know, to your fingers and part of, of walking away from the whole thing. So that was like November, December. So she, she sat on it for a month. We polished it up one more time. And she independently published it. Somewhere, it was either February or February. That was a um, mystery story that she rolled it out. It sold like five copies of friends the first, first week or so it was out there. Five mm-hmm. or ten copies, right? Then it started selling like 10 copies a day and 20 copies a day. And this thing sold 20,000 copies, more than 20,000 copies in less than its first 12 months. It was out there. Wow. It made her a ton of money to changed her life. She became a best on author. That book right now, I think has over 600 reviews on Amazon. Um, and then jump back to what I was talking about. She was this close to walking away from the whole thing. That's the same story. We didn't really change anything. We, we fixed a few comments. Mm-hmm. So the story that she was staring at, that she thought was worth nothing, sold twenty thousand copies. And by the way, when I say don't deprive the world of your story, I'm not doing gratuitous. That's twenty thousand people who enjoyed the vast, overwhelming majority of them, because they didn't all like it. But close to twenty thousand people who she entertained, and people who read that story who now have favorite characters like you or I might like Mark Twain or somebody else, uh, yeah. you know, *Huckleberry Finn*. They have that character now that they carry with them, and maybe that inspires somebody else to become an author. All of those chain reactions happened because she didn't listen to that self-doubt when she was understanding this isn't worth it. Twenty thousand votes said it was the right way to go. Versus the one vote, you know, unfortunately that one vote almost Trump trumped twenty thousand. But that's one of those things where it's like, could have gone the other way. And Thank thank goodness she decided to stick it out and put it out there and ride that wave because it's a great book.
0: Sounds like good advice, Mr. Johnson.
1: (laughs) No, and so often, yeah, so often that happens. Okay, well, I think uh, we can probably, you might have other things you actually want to do with your day-to-day, Dan, other than talk to us, Um, but we have definitely enjoyed having you here. Um, I'm glad you're being here, Paul. I wonder if there's any uh, kind of a final minute you would like to leave people with. A little bit about you, a little bit of maybe final advice, um, a nice summary of advice for uh, anybody anybody looking to enter this world. And Absolutely.
0: feel free to shill something. Yes, and shill yourself.
1: <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Well, I would, I would say this. Uh, I do presentations, I've written many stories, many blog posts, uh, you know, um, I'm a little bit of an entertainer at times because I have to be, not because I like to be, all to the contrary. I'm happy sitting in my little office writing for eight hours, not talking to anybody. But I, I would say this if you're uncertain about your writing talent, join a critique group, it will help you. And if you want me to critique your story, there's a really easy way to do it. Go to my blog, enter my contest. This month, we're talking about scary stories there, but you know what? Just send me your story. I'll check it out either way. Anyway. way. It's not good for this anthology. It'll be good for another one, but we're we'll going to put out a few more this year. Not this year. Over the next 12 months, To say. The biggest thing I would send anybody home with is this. And this is what I say from the people who enter my contest, from the people who pay me to take their stories, from the people I do presentations for, all over the place. I have seen it to be true that you are better writer than you think Most of you, better than you think don't have anybody telling you that. Let somebody tell you that. Share your work with somebody and you'll find out. You're better than me. If I could leave you with one thing, that is what I would like to leave
1: That's awesome. Okay, perfect. Well then, um, I think that's about it for us today.
0: I think we well, can I'm also mention on we can also mention on uh, danalatori.com and my books at the top of the screen you can click here to get your copy of Poggy Bonzi. Free with Kindle Unlimited. And I like free stuff, so go get it. Yeah,
1: there you go. Awesome. All right, get out there. Give it a try, people. All right, I think that's it for us. Thank you again, Dan, Thank you
0: very much, Dan. We enjoyed it. It was my great pleasure. Thank you. All right,
1: perfect. So let's take it to the outro. All right. This
0: might have been the least crappy one we've done so far.
1: It might have been. It might have been our best episode yet. All do, right. you, do, do you want to join us in our tradition, Dan? We just need we from you work. a great big bye. So, are you ready? Um, we're going to say bye! bye! Bye!
0: See, we still suck.
1: Yeah, we still suck.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the Total Stick Cast. Connect with us online through Twitter and Facebook at Total Stick Show. And you can watch the things we make on YouTube by heading to youtube.com and searching for Total Stick Show. Or you can also find our content on Newgrounds.com by going to totalstickshow.newgrounds.com. The Total Stick Cast is available on Google Play as well as iTunes, and your reviews will help other people find us and help us grow. Please take a moment to let us know what you think. The Total Stick Cast is hosted by Paul Johnson and Shane Hoekfer and produced by hey, me, Shane Hooper. You can connect to Paul Johnson directly on Twitter at OffDLP or at EverythingPaul.net. That's EverythingPaul.net. You can also reach us by email at show at gmail.com. This has been the Total Stick Cast. Thank you for making us part of your day. T.F. Turtle Stick Podcast Network. <music>